Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, May 8th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor Angela Galanis-Price. All right. Well, welcome, church. Uh, We are in the last installment of Faith in Disney, and today we'll be uh, talking, illustrating Pocahontas. Now, will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, you who are a rock and our redeemer. We pray, O God, that your spirit is present here with us. Give us ears so that we can hear your words. Give us a soft heart so that we can receive you in in us this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now, Pocahontas is one of my favorite Disney films because I remember when it was released, actually June 23rd, 1995, I was a sophomore in high school, and I remember, I know, I know, (laughs) I remember uh, when I saw this movie, it was just so incredibly beautiful, and I wanted to be out in nature. I wanted to sing with all the colors of the wind. I, I wanted to be talking to little animals. I wanted to be connected to the river. It has a way to make you feel and desire being connected to the earth and the natural world. Let me give you a little bit of a background of what this movie is about. It's loosely, loosely, loosely based on some real characters. (laughs) Like John Smith is one of the main characters in the movie. He really did exist in history. And there was this American Indian, Native American young woman named Pocahontas. She did really exist as well. And the story is that back in the early 1600s, when Britain decided to come and um, into the New World and try to find resources and gold, and they started that they wanted to bring colonies over, that the first the first ship that came over. The people that were invested in that ship, they, they bought the ship, they bought the resources, they paid for the employees, the crew, to come over. They came over to Jamestown. And Jamestown is the first colony in America in 1607. John Smith encountered Pocahontas. That really did happen. Now, nothing else is true, but there is... <laughs> But John Smith did, John Smith was the captain of the ship that encountered Pocahontas. I went to uh, the Poetan tribal site, and they said this about the story. Pocahontas, her real name was Matoaka. The legend is that she saved a heroic John Smith from being clubbed to death by her father in 1607. She would have been about 10 or 11 at that time. So, probably no romance. But, what's a movie without good romance? So, there's some romance in this Walt Disney version. Um, But, regardless of that fact, we're going to put that fact aside. Walt, this story is such an incredibly beautiful story. In fact, one of the comments that was made by Roger Ebert in 1995 is this. 
Pocahontas is the best looking of the modern Disney animated features and one of the more thoughtful. It's about real issues, even if it treats them with naive idealism. In its view, Native Americans lived in peaceful harmony with nature until European settlers came bringing guns and ecological destruction. And that's the sad part, of course. The Europeans puffed up with their notion of civilization did not realize how much they had to learn from the Indians. So on that note, let's begin our story. Here is John Smith. He is a captain of the ship that's about to sail. It's called Susan Constant. And he is excited to be... Uh, to. Uh, be an adventurer. He wants to discover this new land. He's optimistic, obviously very handsome. And he begins here in London. And here's our villain. Our villain, Governor Ratcliffe. He is the one who is the leader of the crew. He's invested money because he needs to make more money. He wants to find gold. Uh, the Virginia Company is what he is supporting. And his whole premise is that if he finds more gold, he will have a strong position at the British court. Now, they get into the ship, and they are sailing across the land, and all of a sudden, there's this storm in the North Atlantic. Thomas, he's uh, one of the young cruisemen. He accidentally falls into the ocean, and guess who saves him? Our hero, John Smith, jumps into the ocean, grabs Thomas, brings him to shore, and all is well. Here is Pocahontas. She is very lovely, obviously this smile. She's wearing around her neck her mother's necklace. Her mother is not with her. She's passed on. And she is free-spirited and connected to nature. She loves animals, and she just wants to have purpose in our life and do something significant. But Pocahontas has a, a problem, and our problem is her daddy, the chief of Poetin, he has a man picked out for her, this warrior. His name is Kokuam, and well, she keeps saying over and over again, He's so serious. Obviously, she's not very attracted to him. And she has to discern what to do. Now, because her mother is not around, she is going to go to Grandmother Willow, this tree that has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And the tradition, the folklore is that Trees have been here longer than us, and they have seen more things. So if anybody has wisdom, it's the one who has been around a little longer. So she seeks wisdom from the nature. In fact, she believes that the divine will speak through this tree and will give her direction and discernment in life. In the Native American tradition, they believe that if they listen to the earth around them, to the animals, to the trees, to the wind, that the spirits will give them discernment and wisdom. It's really interesting because even in our Christian tradition, 
we understand that God is the one God is behind all that is beautiful. It's interesting that when we look at nature and we're outside, our hearts are filled with awe. It's because we're seeing the glory of God depicted through the earth. And that God is, ev- is all around us if we only listened. Here in Job, it talks about the animals and the plants and the fish and the birds, that they, they declare who God is. And before we get into this passage, I want to give you a little bit of a context in Job. Job is one of those parables in the scriptures. It's a man who has suffered a great deal. He has lost everything. It started with his children. They passed away tragically. Then his wealth deteriorated. And then um, his, he caught this rare disease and his body was filled with sores and boils and it was really painful. And he was crying out to God in the story, God, where are you? Why have you done this to me? What have I done against you for you to to curse me in some way, to make me suffer in this way. His friends, who should have been uh, a source of peace for him, were not. They, they kept taunting him, saying, it's your fault. You must have done something. Find what you did. They were trying to reason with him. There is no reasoning when it comes to understanding pain. It makes no sense. It's random, and suffering happens to all of us. So in this, in this parable, there's Job's voice, there's the friend's voice, there's even God's voice. But here in Job 12, something else happens. It, it interjects the author who's writing the story. His voice is interjected in the story as if to tell Job, you're not looking in the right place. You're not listening He says here in verse 7, but ask the animals and they will teach you because you're not getting it. The birds of the air and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth and they will teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you because obviously your reason is not bringing you comfort here and you must turn to the things that you consider lower than you intellectually, yet they even know what the truth is. And the author continues to say in verse 9, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Done what? See, Job is asking, God, did you bring my suffering? Were you the one who caused my, my pain? Yet here, the author is taking that question and redirecting it and saying, wait a minute, the birds, the trees, the plants, you know what they all know? They know that their source of life comes from the Lord. That God brings good things because these birds and animals, they're not suffering here. They're delighting in God, and it is God who gives them comfort and, and the source of being. And it says that right in verse 10, in his hands, in the Lord's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. This is a poetic response to Job to say, 
your comfort, your relief, you can't understand it. It's not a reasonable thing. But if you allow your heart to open up to the Lord, this God who provides for the birds and the animals and the earth, this God can bring you comfort and life and hope. The Spirit. You know, the Native Americans talked about the spirits that are all around us. We believe in the great spirit as well. In Genesis 1, it says here, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. In other words, there was chaos. While a wind from God, in the Hebrew, the word here is ruach, the spirit of God swept over the face of the waters, that God here with us is spirit, the great spirit who is all around us, in the nature and in us. Galatians 5.25 If we live by the Spirit, this breath, this wind that we breathe is inside of us. If we live by the Spirit, directed to us, illustrated to us through the life of Jesus Christ, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us find discernment in the Spirit. Let our ears listen to what the Spirit has to say instead of always trying to figure it out with our own reason. Because our reason is not going to satisfy the deep hunger of our hearts to be connected to the one who gives us life. Yes, we can know about God. That's the first step to know about God. But knowing God in the very core of our beings, that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said, my heart was strangely warmed. Knowing God in that way, just saying it, I feel the hunger inside of me that I want to be known by God and to know God in that intimate, beautiful way. Pocahontas still has to figure out what her path is, and she has to figure out what these white clouds are. Of course, it's the ship coming in with John Smith right on there. And of course, when they land, they begin making plans about how to build their fort. Here's Governor Ratcliffe and John Smith looking around. He takes out a map. He has a plan of how he's going to occupy the land they begin cutting down the trees to make their fort. But John Smith begins to wander around to look at the land. And of course, who is watching him but Pocahontas? Because she is curious of this new person, this white-skinned person that is on her land. She's never seen a person like this. Well, John Smith uh, goes to the, to the waterfall. He's washing his face. And there, in the reflection of the water, he notices that there is somebody looking down at him. He decides that if he takes a couple of steps, maybe she will follow. And sure enough, she does because she is curious. Pocahontas, she takes a couple of steps and runs right into John Smith. I wish it was that easy, huh? <laughs> So while they were falling for each other, 
Um, her, uh, the other people at her tribe were checking out the colonists. And as they were checking them out, Governor Ratcliffe noticed that they were there. They pick up their guns, of course. They take out their bows and arrows, and they begin to wrestle. And this is the first time we see them actually begin this, this war between the colonists and the Native Americans. This breaks my heart because looking back um, in history, we know that um, the American Indian tribes were slaughtered, really. The colonists came in with their diseases and their ways of life, and they weren't sensitive at all to the people that already lived there. The, po- the Poetan tribe, they were, there were hundreds of tribes that were together that were in peace at that time, living off the land. And when the colonists came in, they had one thing in mind, and that is their greed and their need to find resources and gold. Well, in their wrestling, somebody gets hurt, and they're taken back. And then when they're taken back, um, the chief calls all the people together, and they have this conversation. Basically, they're saying, this means war. But while that was happening, Pocahontas and Joss Smith were interacting. Pocahontas has to run off at this point because she hears the drums of her tribe, but she decides to meet with John Smith later on to make a plan about how to bring peace between her tribe and the colonists. As she runs back to find him in the middle of the night, her best friend, Nakoma, figures out where she's going, and of course she has to tell her fiancé-to-be, Kokuam. He follows, well, John Smith goes out as well, He has to sneak out of his fort as well because people know now that he's uh, been missing a couple days. And who follows him but Thomas, the boy that he rescued from the ship. So they meet, they begin to have a conversation, and then they share an intimate moment. Thomas is watching, Kokuam is watching, and of course he needs to defend his woman. He attacks John Smith. Thomas sees him attacking him. He picks up his gun. He aims and shoots Kokuam. Now, the American Indians were right behind Kokuam coming up to John Smith. They, uh, John Smith tells Thomas, you are welcome to leave now. Go back because you don't want to get in trouble. They capture John Smith, and they take Kokuam back to um, help him heal. And Pocahontas is left wondering what to do. Uh, Governor Radcliffe now is, knows that John Smith has been captured, and so he begins to get enraged. He riles up his crew to go fight. See, everybody's in fight mode here, and Pocahontas goes back to Grandmother Rilla to find discernment and direction. She goes back to the spirits, you see, to find her source of hope. And this is what happens. I love that the great spirit led her to sacrifice. That's how you know when God is really the one who's speaking to us because it causes us to do acts of love and sacrifice and bring peace. Now, I wish the story ended here, just a a little bit more 
Governor Radcliffe was not uh, settled with this decision about not having war. He grabs the gun and he aims it at the chief, but John Smith jumps in front and takes the gunshot and he's wounded but not killed. And this act of sacrifice, again, when we are people that are sacrificial, when we listen to the Spirit and it causes us to move in ways of love, it encourages and inspires other, others to do as well. <laughs> love breeds love. Sacrifice breeds sacrifice. The story ends with John Smith needing to go back to London. He invites Pocahontas here to come with him, but of course she decides that she needs to stay with her people, and so she bids him farewell. The end of our story. Richard Rohr, this Franciscan friar, a friar uh, is under the Roman Catholic order. He said something that really speaks to this movie. The morning glories and the sunflowers turn naturally towards the light, but we have to be taught, it seems. It's interesting that we forget to turn to our source. We forget the animals understand it, the trees understand it, the the whole earth understand it except us, the most intelligent of species, we tend to forget to turn to our source, which is the light. John of the Cross, another church father, he said, God can't be known intellectually. We can know about God, but God can't be known, just experienced in love. We come to know God through the love and the warmth and the experience that we have with God. In high school, I was madly in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. Remember when Titanic came out? And I knew all sorts of things about Leonardo. I even fantasized in my head that one day we will meet. I was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. But I do not have a relationship with Leonardo DiCaprio we can know things about God, and that's the beginning, that's a beginning step. But if we settle there, then it's not enough. It will not fulfill us. We must pursue a relationship. So what now? Seek to experience God. Move from thinking about God to loving God, to being in relationship with God. Number two, savor what is beautiful. When a traumatic experience happens, it imprints itself in our brains automatically. When something beautiful happens, many times we don't even see it. We're just so busy doing, 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 going, going, going. In fact, we have to savor a moment for 15 seconds for it to actually transform us and help us feel a sense of hope and peace. 15 seconds, my friends. When we look at something beautiful, let us take the time to be in awe and remember God is behind this. And number three, pay attention. Pay attention to the still, small voice, the spirit inside of you. God's spirit is in all of us. That's the wind, the ruach in Genesis 1, when God breathed, it hovered over the earth. It's the breath that God breathed into us. 
we have many voices in our heads. And it says all sorts of stuff. And we might wonder, which one is the Spirit's? Because there's this voice that says I have to do more. And there's this voice that tells me I'm not good enough. Which one is the Spirit? And we know the Spirit from what it produces. In Galatians it says, the fruit of the Spirit, what it produces is love. That's the sacrifice we see in Pocahontas. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, These are the things that the Spirit produces. That's how you know when that voice inside of you is the Spirit talking to you. Is it producing love and joy in your life and peace? That's how we can discern. God is all around us. May we take the time to really connect and to really listen. I'm going to close us with this Meditation from this book, Taking Flight, a book of story and meditation by Anthony DeMello. A monk was walking in the monastery grounds one day when he heard a bird sing. He listened, spellbound. It seemed to him that never before had he heard, really heard, the song of a bird. And I will interject here, maybe the voice of God. When the singing stopped, he returned to the monastery and discovered, to his dismay, that he was a stranger to his fellow monks and they to him. It was only gradually that they and he discovered that he was returning after centuries because his listening was total. Time had stopped and he had slipped into eternity. When Jesus says to us that we find eternal life, he's saying to us we will find a life of abundance because it's based on things that are eternal. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those things are eternal. May we take the time to listen to the Spirit speak to us this morning. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for being in the wind and being in the earth and using all of creation to point us to your love and to your grace and to your beauty. Thank you, oh, Lord, for giving us this gift. May we turn our eyes towards you and our heart towards you so that we can listen and pay attention and experience the beauty that is all around us and particularly the beauty that is in our family and the people that you have placed in our life. May we connect with them as well today. In Christ we pray. Amen.